0: We're thrilled once again to have Evangelist Dean and Peggy Caldwell with us this morning. Make them welcome to MAG Church, if you would. Brother Dean, come and preach the word. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Your eternal reward for serving the Lord is not heaven. We've said that for centuries of time, but it's not heaven. It's everlasting life. That's the reason when a saint of God dies, they don't go into judgment. They go into the presence of God because it's Jesus fulfilling his promise to us of everlasting life. Man, I feel great this morning just feel revived and just enjoyed the worship time. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation of being back here. I know on Sunday morning we're always pushed for time, but this morning just the presence of God, the pleasantness of the Lord being in this place today. Well, I've been praying and and I feel like the Lord has directed me to a particular direction this morning. I want to get into it. I'm going to talk about what it takes to be saved, what it takes to know the Lord, and the reason I'm going to go this direction this morning, we're living in a world that does not know the language of the church. They don't have a clue. I'll guarantee you, you could go to the main street of this town you live in and stand there and shake hands and greet people as they go by, and it'll amaze you. How many people, if you ask them, are you born again? Have you been saved? Do you know Jesus? And they don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. They don't have any idea. I was with a young man here a while back. He's now youth pastor. And I asked him, I said he was talking about wasn't being raised in church. And I said to him, what was your response when you first heard about Jesus. He said, they asked me, did I know Jesus? And I asked them, what year did he graduate in? I might know him. You see, the world does not know the language of the church. We're met with a challenge. You've got family members that don't know Jesus. And they don't see the importance of knowing Jesus as Lord of their life. I wanna talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles and like to read with me, I'm reading from the book of Acts chapter 16, verse number 30 and verse number 31. Would you honor the reading of the scripture by standing this morning? I know you've been standing, but as long-winded as I am, you may appreciate this when I get started this morning. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 and 31. This is when Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail and they have uh, heard it, had an earthquake take place by the hand of God. And now they're loosed and all the prisoners in the prison where they're at are loosed and the jailer saw what's happening and he's about ready to take his life. And out of the darkness, Paul calls to him and said, hey, bud, we're all still here. Don't do yourself any harm. And this is what he said. In verse 30, he brought them out saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shall be saved and thy house. What some strong language here and such information that's tied up in these verses of scripture. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would add your blessing to this word. I pray, God, that you'd bless that the anointing of the Spirit of God rest on every heart that's here. May we learn from the Word of God today. May we be inspired from the Word of God today. And if there's one person in this house that's unsaved, I pray the spirit of conviction would begin to pull on their heart, open their eyes to see the need of knowing Jesus as Lord of their life. Move powerful in this place, I pray. Give us a great altar service in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated this morning. I made me a list of scripture to give Caleb back there, and I'm gonna do my best to stay as close to them as I possibly can. We're talking about salvation. The Philippian jailer asked the question what I gotta do to be saved? And Paul simply answered it, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved, not only you, but your whole household can be saved. Now if you follow this story on down in verse 34, he'll tell you that the jailer set meat before them and believed in God with all of his house. Wow, it did come true. It happened just like the Apostle Paul had to uh, say to him. But listen to me this morning and understand when you are faced with a question, of what must I do to be saved or you're faced with the question of asking someone, do they know Jesus? And they look at you and say to you, "What? who is Jesus? What is salvation? Why do I need to be born again? What are you gonna tell them? How are you gonna answer that question? I know this is elementary this morning, but I wanna go through this from the scripture today where we can get on the same track. When you leave this building and I want you to understand what it means to be born again. What the Scripture is talking about when the Bible said... You must be born again. Caleb, can we go to St. John chapter 3? Let me pick those up right now. John chapter 3, verse 3, verse 5, and verse number 7. St. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a church-going man. He had been in church, but he did not know the language of the kingdom of God. He had no idea. And the Bible said that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in verse Verse number three, and answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see there it means to have knowledge of the kingdom of God. What's he saying, Nicodemus? You'll never know the language of the church. You'll never know what it means to have a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, except first being born again. Look in verse number five. Verse number five, now Nicodemus has asked the question. He said, how can I enter my mother's womb the second time and be born and Jesus answered that question to him when he said this, verily, verily, I say you, except a man be born of spirit and water, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What's it saying? You can make it to heaven sick, you can make it to heaven blind, you can make it to heaven crippled, but you can't make it there unsaved. You must be born again, verse seven. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, marvel not, that I say unto you, you must be born again. Now Nicodemus didn't understand the terminology of what it meant to be born again. Let me get down here where you are this morning before I fall off this platform, all right? Watch this and understand. Let's go back to the beginning when God had made man in the beginning. Caleb, I'm gonna go to Genesis chapter one and verse number 26. Genesis one And verse number 26, this is the first mention of man in the scripture. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, and creeping things that creepeth upon the earth. God said, let us make man in our image. Image is what you look like. Likeness is what you act like. So God said, we're gonna make man to look like us. Not only that, we're gonna make man to to ha- uh, to live like us as well in the likeness of God. What does that mean? Death had not come on the scene at that time. Adam and Eve were created eternal. They were placed here on this earth as eternal beings. God made Adam placed him on this earth as a man that was going to live forever. Now, can I tell you, God's gonna fulfill that promise. You and I are made eternal. We're going to live forever. We have a soul and spirit inside this body that is going to live forever somewhere in eternity, either with God or without God, but we are eternal creatures. God made us, so God said, let us make man in our image, that's what you look like, and after our likeness, and he placed them on this earth and gave them dominion, and he names all of these things that I, I just read to you. Now watch this. God made Adam from the dust of the earth. Uh, Caleb, I didn't give you this scripture, but can you go to Genesis 2? Let me look here. Verse uh, number seven. Genesis 2 and verse number seven. Now look at this very carefully this morning. Genesis 2, verse number seven. Chapter one and 26. God said we're gonna do it. Genesis 7 tells you how God done it. Or Genesis 2. Two and verse seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man become a living soul. If you were reading this from Hebrew Chronicles, here's what it says. God physically came from heaven down to this earth. When he got on this earth, he cast his image, in the dust of the ground. And with his finger, he traced his image out in the dust of the ground. And with his breath, he breathed into that traced out image and when he did, Adam just peeled right out of the ground. The creative power of God. God brought Adam forth from the dust of the ground. Now Caleb, go to verse 18. Genesis two, verse number 18. Out of all God's creation, he did not need a cheering section that would pat him on the back and said, you did good, brother God, you've done real good. No, God himself backed up and said, it is good. Here's the only place in his creation that God said, it is not good, verse number 18. The Bible said, the Lord's talking here. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate For him, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. The word alone is two English words. Pull them apart, all one. Put them together alone. When you're all one, you're alone. You understand that. God said, it's not good that man should be all one. I'm gonna make a helpmate for him. So God put Adam to sleep, and when he put Adam to sleep, When Adam woke up from surgery, there's a woman sitting by his side. Not a baby, a full grown woman. Adam and Eve had no childhood. They had no parents. They didn't have a granny or grandpa. They were full grown whenever God created them. Now watch this. Caleb, go to verse 23. Genesis chapter two, verse 23 and 24. Adam said, Now, this is after he woke up from surgery. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out Oh, before I read verse 24, let me show you what that's saying. God never went back to the dust of the earth to make another person. He brought Eve and out of Adam. You know what that means? When God made Adam, he had already made Eve. She had not been formed at that time, but she was made at the same time Adam was made. Watch, let me read that again. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because what? She was taken out of man, understand that. Lord help me, I can preach an hour on that right there. She was taken out of man. Uh, Caleb, I'm gonna, uh, well let me verse 24 while I'm here. Now watch this, and Adam said, he made this statement, and it had to come from God because he didn't have the background of experience to make this statement in verse 24. Verse number 24, Adam said this, Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Wow, look at that. He had no mother, he had no father. This had to be a teaching from God to Adam and Adam said this, therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. My Lord church, I'm wanting to detour here and preach about the one flesh. Let me just do a little of it this morning. Caleb, will you skip over to chapter five and just put up verse two. I'll come back to The rest of that in a moment of time. In Genesis 5 and verse number 2, watch this verse of scripture here. Uh, Caleb, you're good. Man, I appreciate that. You're good. Amen. Well, I've got to give him a treat after service. He's doing real good. Watch this now. Male and female created he them. God knew they were two people. Male and female created he them and blessed them. Look what happened now and called their name Adam from the day they were created. Look at that. God knew there was two people, but he called them by one name. Male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that were created. Why? When you make a covenant with your spouse, and you come together in matrimony in the eyes of God. When God blesses your wife, he blesses you, sir. When God blesses you, sir, he blesses your wife. You are one team together in the eyes of God. Oh, help me, Lord, to preach this this morning. You are blessed beyond measure in your walk with God. I'm gonna take a little detour in spite of everything that I can do. Caleb, I didn't give you this one, but you're doing good with this, will you go to 1st Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 14 1st Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 14 I'm about to help somebody with this this morning 1st Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14, ain't got nothing to do with what I'm trying to preach but I just need to tell this to somebody this morning 1st Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 14 look what he said. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? Watch what this says. God let me read this in Arkansas language where you texicans can get a hold of this. all right? Hang with me. He said, the unsaved husband is now sanctified because his wife is saved. The unsaved wife is now under a sanctified covenant because her husband is saved. Not only that, your children now become under the holy commandment of God. What does that mean? It don't mean they're saved, but it means your family is entitled to the blessings of God because there's one person living in that household that's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mama, listen to me this morning. You may have a husband that that's lost as a ball in high weeds. He gives you fits coming to church, but your house is blessed because you live there, all right? wife a husband listen to me you may have a wife that just as lost as she can be she don't go to church with you she criticizes you but that home is blessed because you live there you know why because there's a covenant of salvation that is extended to that household that only can come from God he'll bless you going in and coming out but somebody here didn't buy that I just feel that right now well Caleb here we go again Will you go back with me to Genesis chapter 39? Genesis chapter 39 and put up verse number three. Genesis 39. I'm gonna pick up two or three here in this passage of scripture. Watch this now. His master's, well, I'll tell you what. Back up to verse two, brother. Brother Caleb, back up to verse two. Let me show you this and look at this. The Lord was with Joseph. Now keep in mind, he's a slave. He has been bought on an auction block He belongs to Potiphar but God hadn't forgot who he was. Look at this. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. He was 17 years old at this time. Now verse three. Look at verse three. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Are you watching this unfold? Potiphar looked at him and said, hey, there's a hand of God on that dude and he turned his whole face farm and business over to Joseph. Look at verse five. Caleb, go to verse number five. Look at this. Look in the middle of this. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake oh, do you see that? That Egyptian was an idolater. He served the sun god. But God said, I got a boy there that can't change his circumstance. He can't help what he's living in. And I'm not gonna let him suffer. So I'm gonna bless that idolater's house, everything he has for Joseph's sake. Now, do you follow me? When there's one person saved in that household, your household is blessed by God if you start living like that, God will fulfill his blessing in your life and you'll live beyond depression and you'll live in the victory of the Lord of glory. Somebody just needed to hear that. That ain't got nothing to do with what I'm trying to preach this morning. Just want to take a little detour there and help somebody today. Now let's go back to chapter five of the book of Genesis. Chapter five, the book of Genesis. Now keep in mind Uh, Caleb, I gave you verses one, or verse two and three. Can you put up verse one? Genesis five, verse one through three. We'll read all three of those and that'll help them understand. Now watch this, Adam and Eve failed. They failed God miserably. They listened to what the devil had to say instead of what God had said. They listened in doubt. They listened in rebellion. The devil said to them, you won't die. God said you would. The devil said to them, you'll know as much as God knows. God never said that. Didn't happen then. It still hadn't happened to this day. But the devil spoke to them and convinced them to disobey the voice of God. Now watch this, let me show you what's happened here where we can get our minds wrapped around this. In Genesis five and verse number one, he said, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Church, I'm telling you, there's just so much in the book of Genesis, you, you may not believe me, but I could preach a whole hour on that one verse right there. This is a book of the generations of Adam. Do you let me just show you a little Bible study here? Don't go here, Caleb. If you do, I'll get off on this. Sure as well. But when you go to Matthew chapter one and verse one, he said, This is the book of the generations of Christ. Oh, wow, there's a great comparison there. But let's read this This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, watch this. In the day that God created man, look how he created him, in the likeness of God made he him. Wow, this is speaking of the likeness of God. Remember, Adam was made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. Now verse two, I just read that, but I wanna read that again and then go into verse three. In verse number two, male and female created he them, Bless them, call their name Adam in the day they were created. And Adam was 130 years old and he begot a son. Now watch this, here's where the change is made. This is after the fall. Adam is made in the image and likeness of God, of God, of God. But look at this. Adam is 130 years old. He begot a son in his on likeness and his image, and he called his name Seth. Let me point something else out here. When the fall of man happened, man never lost the image of God, we lost the likeness of God. Hang with me. They never lost their arms, their legs, their head, their ears, their eyes, their nose. They never lost the image of God. They lost the likeness of God. And when they lost the likeness of God, then the likeness of man, flesh, started at that point. Man started his his journey in this life as human, as flesh. And we've been fighting flesh from that day to this day and we'll fight it until we die or the trumpet sounds and changes us, understand that. But Adam uh, uh, sired his son by the name of Seth in his own likeness and his image. See, chapter five points out the likeness of God, but when you get to verse three, it points out the likeness of man. What are you saying? Understand what's happened here. I've been working on a message for quite some time and I, I let me just give you the heart of it this morning. That is the tree of knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. I get this question all the time. Why in the world didn't they eat of the tree of life? If they had of, they would have still been alive today. But they already had everlasting life at that point. They didn't need the tree of life. This was before the fall. What they wanted was something they did not have. God never intended man to know evil. It was never God's intention for man to know evil. Wow, we understand that. Let me show you something else. It was never God's intention for man to know good. (laughs) Oh, look at that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, why? Because from the fall to now, man has tried to use his goodness to get to God. Instead of his faith to get to God, he tries to use his goodness to get to God. I'm not going to preach that, just pointing that out. That's what we have to deal with to this day. Nothing I have impresses God. Understand that. But my faith in my will is something God desires and he craves because it constitutes my worship. Well let's leave that alone there. But watch this now and understand. Whenever Eve was deceived by Satan, Adam walked in on her, and she gave the fruit to Adam and he partook, knowing what he was doing. Caleb, go to go to the book of 1 um, Timothy, chapter 2, verse number 14. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 14. Look at this. Understand what's happening here in Genesis where he said Adam partook of the fruit, willing, willingly knew what he was doing. Adam was not deceived. Are you looking at this, verse 14? Yeah. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. What's happening here? Adam sinned willfully. He knew what was going to happen, and he'd done it anyway. He'd done it anyway. He was not deceived. you got two kinds of sin here, deception and willful sin. I was doing a preacher's convention here a few years ago and one of the preachers come to me and well, not one of them, there's about 10 of them came to me and, and it was of the independent world and one of them said, Brother Caldwell, we have decided that if a man sins willfully, he's eternally lost. And I said, well, that's not right he said, what, what do you mean? I said, I can't remember a time in my life that I accidentally sinned. I, I, I can't. Every time I've sinned, JR, I knew it was going to happen. I just done it anyway. I, I did. I, I can't remember a time that I accidentally sinned. As sin's never crept up on me, and it's usually got to do with my temper. And whenever I get to that point and I'm past that point, I'm ready to knock a knot on somebody's head. A calf can suck. That's just how I feel sometimes you know and I know what's going to happen and I don't try to curb it I just go right ahead I've passed that point well I've never accidentally sinned but what is this all about concerning Adam willfully sinning he walked in on Eve and and she is willfully I mean or she's been deceived and taken of the forbidden fruit he took it and he partook of the forbidden fruit oh, Caleb I didn't give you this one but will you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. Let me explain this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 45. Look at what the scripture is identifying the first Adam and the last Adam. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45. And so it is written, the first man Adam. That's the garden of Eden uh, Adam. The first man Adam was made a a, a living soul, but the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Why is Christ called the last Adam? What is this? Now listen to me, this is misquoted. The first Adam and the second Adam. It don't say second, it says last Adam. If there was a second, there could be a third and a fourth. They said the last Adam. The garden of Eden Adam, first man Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. What is that all about? Let me show you what that's about. Adam walked in on Eve and she has partaking of the forbidden fruit. He willfully took the fruit from her, why? Because he knew that on God's routine visit to the Garden of Eden, he would take Eve and cast her out of the garden and they would be forevermore separated. So he willfully becomes sin with her so they would not be separated. Let me talk about the last Adam. The last Adam willfully came from heaven down to this earth and he took my sin upon him so we would not eternally separated that makes him the last Adam the first Adam set a point there but the last Adam finished the course he willfully came from heaven to this earth and he took my sin and when he took my sin he took it so we would not be eternally separated through eternity alright Caleb go to Genesis 3 verse number 7 and verse number 8 now here's the story of Adam and Eve continue in here and this is what he said Genesis chapter 3 verse number 7 and verse number 8 this is after they had disobeyed God the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked they sewed fig leaves together and made what they made aprons for themselves And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. What are you saying? God walked. in uh, in the Garden of Eden, this is bound to have been a routine visit because they heard his voice, they knew exactly who it was, and they hid from the presence of God. This indicates he's done this many times. They knew exactly who it was. They had disobeyed God, and you know the story, God cast them out of the garden. Now they still have the image of God, but they don't have the likeness of God. Now when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, here's what he's talking about. When you come to an altar prayer and you get before the Lord and you ask him to forgive you of your sin come into your heart, here's literally what happens. The sin is removed from your life. And when the sin is removed from your life, birthed in you is the likeness of God that was lost in the fall of man. Now, watch this now. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, sin is removed, and the likeness of God is birthed in you that Adam and Eve lost in the fall. 2 Corinthians 4. 5 verse number 17. Caleb. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Why? Because old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. That's what he's talking about when he said you got to be born again. Birth in you is the likeness of God that was lost in the fall of man. Now you've got something living inside of you that differentiates disobeying God. I didn't have that before I asked Jesus to come in my life. i just done what I wanted to do and dad and mom made me convicted. But after I started walking with God, I've got something living inside of me that when I disobey God when I fail, it rises up on the inside of me and says, Dean, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. I didn't have that before, but now I'm born again. Now I'm saved by the grace of God. I have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And church, what I have just explained to you is just a simple version of what it means to be born again. And use the scripture to back it up. But how am I going to win my family, my loved ones to the Lord that know nothing about Jesus? I'm about to tell you a little tactic that I use and have led hundreds to the Lord. And I'm not exaggerating. Use this all the time and have for 54 years. Let me help you with something. Many times when we're trying to lead our loved ones to the Lord, we come up to them and we say, do you want to be saved? You want to be born again? If they say no, the conversation's over. It's over. If I push, I'm going to turn them off every family reunion every Christmas every Thanksgiving oh here comes Aunt Pearl that Bible thumping Pearl Lord let's go the Dairy Queen till she gets this out of her system on the rest of them that's how it goes down why? because you ask a question they gave an answer and and their rejection is you didn't accept their answer but watch this, when I'm talking to somebody about their soul, I lead it up because everybody knows about death. Every one of us have lost family members and loved ones. We know what death is and we know for a fact that is gonna die at some point or another. I don't like to discuss it more than you do, but it's real. So what I get to the point, I start talking about death. Then I get down to this place right here and I say, hey, when you die, you're going to stand before God. Now listen to this. And when you stand before God, God's going to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you going to tell him? See, that's not a yes or no answer. That requires an answer. And it requires an answer, it opens the door for you to explain Jesus to them. Had a brother-in-law married to Peggy's oldest sister. Lord, I've coon hunted with him, deer hunted with him. He worked in the timber industry, logger. He'd work all day and hunt all night. Come in next morning, just go straight to work. Tough as a boot, but hard as nails. Every time you bring up church, he'd find somebody that used to be in church. They don't go to church anymore, or some preacher that fell by the wayside. I couldn't argue with that. I knew those same people. Just shut it off. Peggy's oldest sister died in 99, somewhere in there. He married again, Claire, beautiful lady, wonderful woman. And we'd heard that James was sick and was in the Little Rock hospital. And Miss Peggy and I had was going to a revival. And we got there and set the trailer up and everything. I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I told her, I said, we're gonna drive back to Little Rock and I'm gonna visit him in Little Rock Hospital. So I went in the hospital. We did, we drove back to Little Rock on Monday. I went in the hospital where he was at. We just always cut up and carried on and I hopped up on the side of that hospital bed and got to talking to him, just cutting up, carrying on. Then I said, James, I've heard the report don't look good. He said, no, Dean, it don't. I said, you're coming to the end of your road. You're getting ready to die. And James, when you die, you're gonna stand before God God's going to look at you, James, and say, James Dotson, why should I let you in my kingdom? What are you going to tell him? This is what he said. I'm going to tell him I want in. <laughs> I said, well, let me tell you how that operates. The only way you can get in is through Jesus. Jesus. And I explained to him in a quicker version of what I just explained to you this morning. He listened intently. I thought we had this one in the bag. I took his hand, I said, James, would you like to pray? He said, no, not today. And I knew it was over. Conversation's over. We finished that revival at Cave City loaded up and went way up into Missouri. Set up there on Thursday and I said, I told Peggy, I said, I know, we're several hours from home, but we're driving back. We loaded up, I left the trailer there, we drove back home, got home two o'clock in the morning. When I got up Thursday, I was gonna go to the Little Rock Hospital, his daughter called and said, a Friday morning, Said, Dean, we're sending dad home with hospice. If you come to Little Rock, you're gonna miss him. Just wait till he gets home. They brought James home with hospice. I got up Saturday morning. I said, Peggy, I know we're a long way from where we're gonna start revival in the morning, but I've gotta go one more time. I said, this may take a while. I'm gonna make hell so hot. smell smoke in the living room. But I'm going to make heaven surreal. He'll want to go today. Yes. I left. I drove over to their place, which is about 15 miles from us. Families, cars up the driveway, down the side of the highway. I parked down the highway and I started up the big long driveway to their house. And here come a bunch of family members down the ha- uh, down the road, shaking my hands and said, boy, Then we heard you talk to James Monday, get in there and do your stuff. He's dying and he's lost without God. And I'm standing there thinking, "What's wrong with you? You're lost as a goose on a concrete road. What's wrong with you?" But the difference was, they wasn't dying but they wanted their loved ones saved. I walked to the house and little Claire, his wife came to me and she said, Dean, I'm gonna put everybody out of the house. It's just gonna be you and James. It was cold outside, it was in March. I said, Claire, this may take a while. She said, we'll freeze to death, it takes it. Just get on in there. I don't want him being intimidated with nothing. She put everybody out of the house. They're standing outside in the cold. I walked in there and let that rail down on that hospital bed, hopped up on the side of the bed. He reached over and took me by the hand. I said, James, do you know why I'm here? He said, yes, and I'm ready to pray. Wow. At 11 o'clock that Saturday morning, James made peace with God through prayer. Seven o'clock the next morning, he went into eternity. What if I did not know what to do? There'd been a man in hell that didn't have to be there. We've got a challenge before us. His son in law, Doc, was our doctor. Oh, Kelly called me from time to time with a Bible question. And when he had a Bible question, it had meat on the bone. But he was battling cancer. He, he doctored up within a week of his death. I can't remember. He was battling cancer. We were in New Mexico in revivals there in New Mexico. And he called and he said, Dean, when are you coming home? I said, it'll be another couple of weeks. Boy, get on home, he said. We're gonna have a Bible study. I've been talking to my friends about what you explained to me the other day, but I can't explain it just right. Said, come on home, said, we'll have a Bible study. We'll drink a couple beers, smoke some cigars and have a good Bible study. I said, never been to one quite like that. (laughs) He didn't know any different, didn't know any different. He said, well, I'd have went. I would have went, sure would have. But by the time we got home in New Mexico, Kelly's in the hospital. I went to see him in hospital and I met Dr. May, Robert May. He and I had been praying for Kelly for quite some time. I got Robert May by the hand and he said, Preacher, you got a room full of people down there. They wanna plan a big party when he gets out, but he knows and I know and God knows He's at the end of his road. Get down there and do your stuff. I'm headed for surgery right now and I can't go. And that doctor took my hand and you talk about pray. Dr. Robert May right there in that hallway prayed, he touched heaven, this is what he said. Preacher when that, or God when this preacher gets to that room, clean that room out. So he can talk to my friend straight and strong. Boy, I turned the corner by the nurse's desk, went to his room. There was a whole room full of people. A nurse followed me in and she said, everybody out. I thought, boy, well, this ain't what we prayed. <laughs> Kelly raised up and he said, nurse, everybody can go but that man right there. And I knew God was up to something. I walked over his bedside and I said, Kelly, how you doing all? He said, it's not real good if I don't hear something from the, the Mayo Clinic. He said, I'm at the end of my road. I said, it's gotta be bad being a doctor knowing what's going on. Oh, it's a little tough. How's your family? Just took his mind off his and I sat down on his bed, just got to talking to him. I said, Dr. Kelly, you've seen a lot of death in your nine, in your lifetime. You've had to write a lot of death certificates. But I said, it's your turn. Kelly Meyer, when you die and you stand before God and God looks at you and says, Kelly, why should I let you in my kingdom? What are you gonna tell him? He said, tears welled up in his eyes. He said, Preacher, I'm gonna look at God and say, I tried everything I know to have peace and I just don't have peace. See, that opened the door, and I explained to him, salvation, just what I explained to you this morning. We prayed a very simple prayer, and he looked at me and said this. I didn't know it was that easy. I feel so clean. I feel so clean. See, he's used to running tests and doing all this and trying to find a reason and all that. This is by faith. He died. I had done his funeral. The doctors and lawyers that eulogized him talked about the parties, but I told his story. What if I had not known what to do? Listen, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to put some tools in your hand for your family that needs Jesus. I've explained to you salvation this morning. The jailer said what I need to do to be saved. Paul just simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Will you help me this morning? Will you bow your heads with me across this building today? I don't know every person in this building and I certainly don't know your spiritual status, but I wanna ask, when you stand before God and God looks at you and calls you by name and asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you gonna tell him? Because nothing you do is gonna earn the kingdom of God. Nothing you can say concerning you. It's all because of Jesus and the work he done at Calvary. It's the only way you're going to be saved. But if you don't know him as Lord of your life, you haven't made him Lord of your life, you can leave this morning letting Jesus be Lord of your life. I wonder if there's anybody in this building this morning, you just slip your hand up and right back down, pray for me, preacher. I'm not right with God and I know I'm not right with God, but I wanna be, I really wanna be. Is there a hand anywhere? Just slip it up and right back down. That won't save you, it just shows you're concerned. You're interested, here's a little lady Preacher, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Is there another one? Just slip your hand up, right back down, pray for me. Let me ask this question. How how many here would be honest and lift your hand up and say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I'm right with God. I'm really not sure if I'm right with God. Would you just slip your hand up, make him that statement? I'm not sure if I'm right with God. There's a hand. Else? Preacher, I'm not really sure. See, Paul said we know that we pass from death into life. Now I'm going to ask this whole congregation because I felt I, I covered areas this morning I didn't intend to cover. And when I feel the Spirit leading me like that, God's got something in mind. How many people slip your hand up right now and say, preacher, I've got loved ones that I don't know how to talk to. I don't know how to talk to them about their soul. I honestly don't know. My hands is everywhere. I put some tools in your hands this morning. What you need to pray is, God, you open the door. If you'll open the door, i walk through it. But I'm going to ask if you lifted your hand and you know you're not right with God or you're not for sure if you're right with God, would you get up out of your seat and just come this morning and kneel around this platform here? Because I'll assure you, if you'll open your heart to the Lord, you can leave here born again. Saved by grace. Is there anybody coming real quickly? This is your time today. You don't know for sure whether you're right with God. I'm going to make this real easy because I know who lifted their hands. How many of you lifted your hand and say, Preacher, I've got family that I don't know how to talk to, but I'm coming this morning to find me a place of prayer. You can kneel, you can stand, you can do whatever you want to, but I want you to come and pray. God, you open that door. I'll walk through it. And while they're coming, you that lifted your hand, you're not sure. Will you come on up here and just find you a place of prayer? I say, I'm going to be sure when I leave this building today. I'm going to be sure when I leave this place this morning that I'm right with God. That I'm right with God. Just let God touch you.